I did that. Hey folks, welcome to the podcast. As always, you've got me and you got Tim, except for today, we don't have Sean, so I'm running the stream while we're talking, and so um, just bear with us a little bit. Yeah, we're um, a little discombobulated today, I just, don't know why. It's just a little, well, everybody's doing a different role, i got more to do. Um, I'm trying to watch the stream, watch you guys, and so if you're out there and you're watching, you know, be sure to give us a like and all that stuff, a comment. We'll try to try to stay engaged. I'm um, going to be talking about. Uh, we originally planned on talking about how to have hard conversations and things like that, and we're going to maybe incorporate some of that. But um, talking about the difference between transgressions and sin, and uh, try to put some of that in perspective uh, for us. So hang around with us. We got kind of we got a lot to. There's a lot to share on that. And we'll probably meander and chase a few rabbits. But uh, if you have questions as we're going, this is the kind of topic that it can cause people to be like, what? What are they yeah. doing? And so put your comments, put your questions in the in the, the Facebook there. And I'll, uh, I'll try to address those as much as we can. But uh, we'll be back in a minute and we'll just dig into it. All right. Uh, Today we're talking about the difference between transgressions and sins, and uh, we were just kind of talking over a little bit as we always do in our notes, getting ready to go. And uh, I know I say I don't know if I have a life verse or not, but it's kind of become Second Chronicles sixteen nine. Um, Tim actually started talking about Second Chronicles sixteen nine a thousand years ago. Many moons. And if you're not familiar with Second Chronicles sixteen nine, um, it basically says that the eyes of the Lord go to and fro in the whole earth looking for hearts and this is the new American standard would say whose heart looking for people whose hearts are perfect towards the Lord I think the Christian standard says whose hearts are fully, fully devoted fully devoted fully devoted to him but then it says so that he may give them strong support yeah now the context of that passage <laughs> he's he's fixing to do some real destruction <laughs> for the people uh, there's a lot of bad things about to happen, but well, he's getting on to King Asa for yeah. who it started out really well with the Lord and then started doing goofy stuff. Exactly, but it's one of those eternal kind of things where we, we you hear us talk about it all the time. We'll we'll go through something and and it's not not pulling it out of context, but when we do our Bible study training, the very last thing we teach people is there are any truths in here that you just can see. And it's one of those truths. It just says God's doing this. It is something, it doesn't necessarily mean he's only doing it in that moment. Yeah. But it's written in such a way that it's just something that God does as a part of his character and his nature. Yes. And so the 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 truth that we pull out of that is that God is looking for hearts who are perfect towards the Lord. And we're going to kind of use that as a springboard to talk about the difference in transgressions and sins and, and dovetail this into next Saturday a week from tomorrow, we're going to be having this men's vision, or this this men's vision. Only how men talk. Uh, kingdom vision. Kingdom vision. A uh, little men's conference. If you can make it it's from 9 o'clock to 4 p.m., um, let us know you're coming, though, so we make sure we get you a hamburger. And we're, we're just talking about how to see the kingdom. I mean, how to... Well, kingdom vision has to do with really how God sees it. And we've said it before. Mm. We don't really necessarily... We can't tell you. We know how God looks at things. But the pursuit of trying to figure out how he see, we can see things in certain respects. We'll never be able to see it all because if we right. could, we wouldn't need God. Right. That's just part of the creative. And I, I guess the people in their angry tones these days, you know, they could be like, whoa, why didn't he, he should do that. <laughs> if you do anything creative with your hands, you start learning and discovering that what you're forming and doing can't really tell you what to do with that. Uh, at any rate, from a creative point of view, we just can't sit in that seat. And by faith, you kind of have to take that. Uh, and that's not a bad thing. So with all that said, uh, you'll go back and you'll read this story of King Asa. And that's that's what Matt was telling you a while ago, is that we, we I call that an eternal verse. So we do get to see uh, how 
uh, we get to see something that God does in that particular instance, but as you read it, and if you pull it out by itself, you can see that that's something he does all the time. That's just what he, that's his, his a, nat a nature of his character, that he's looking for a perfect heart because he wants to show himself strong through that perfect heart. Yeah. Which begs the question, what is a perfect what's heart? a perfect heart? And then when we start looking at people and going, well, you're saved and redeemed by uh, by the Christ, and he's paid all the, he's made you perfect to a certain right. extent. Uh, but where do we fall in, how does that work? Go ahead. Yeah, how does that work relative to when we start talking about walk like this, talk like that? And I either don't do it, don't know how to do it, don't not going to do it. You know, that's where we start getting into this transgression versus sin. Well, and it's important to note before, I mean, I have found on our, even on our little silly podcast, people are, are just looking for somebody else that they either respect or whatever, or even they just think they're worthy of respect. You know, they don't know them very well to tell them here, just do this and don't do that. Here's how it is. Here's how it's not. And you'll be fine. People are really hungry for that. That's why cults are so successful <laughs> because people yeah. are just searching for what's right, what's wrong. It's it's religion. There's something in us that seeks that. Well, I think we're hardwired for that. We are. God hardwired. did that on yeah. purpose. And but at the same time, what God doesn't say in Second Chronicles sixteen nine is that He's looking for people whose actions are perfect all the time. Yes. He's not saying that. He's said he's looking for the heart. And, and what we're really talking about and how we see this, and we'll go talk about this a lot more next week, but is how is it that we talked a little bit last week. How is it somebody like Lot, who we see the end of Lot's existence with what happened with his daughters and blah, blah, blah. How can he be declared righteous? Um, and... That's a really good question, and it but is. that's how we, we you know if you come out of Second Chronicles sixteen nine it helps us to deal with this thing of what does God see in me when I'm not doing well when I'm trying really hard but it's just not working or I keep screwing it up and we tell people all the time you can't screw up a lot of this stuff just get out there with your get your motive right get your heart right and move. And we were talking about reading Hebrews 5 through 9 last week, and it actually addresses mm -hmm. a little piece of that, that kind of a deal about uh, the Lord chastised those that he loved, and it's for discipline that he does it, and Jesus had to live that same life. And part of the function, even in the context of Second Chronicles there, where it's talking about King Asa, uh, this is a good example. So look at him, and we'll talk about Abraham a little bit, because when you talk about Abraham, everybody goes, or at least in the Baptist world, they all yeah. go, that's the man of faith. But when you start reading things that Abraham did, and you were standing there and having to deal with him, you'd be like, that's not Christian stuff. <laughs> you, you're lying all the time. Yeah. Not only that, you got a yellow streak a mile wide running up your back. Yeah. So. And yet he's the father of the promises, I mean. Yes. Uh, so that's what I'm talking about when he's looking for a perfect heart. So if these people, and take your pick, Moses, Abraham, Paul, Jesus. Peter, all those names, everybody sits up and goes, yeah, that's the example of a Christian. And that, that's, an, that's a proper response because we read this, this in the Bible. But you read them in the scriptures and you just automatically take them as these perfect... And also we'll look at it and go, yeah, but when they when they faced the Lord and they did it, they changed their lives and they did everything right after that. Well, that's and, not and true. <laughs> if I, if I try to if I ask you in a minute to remind me what I'm thinking of, because I want to come back to this, it, just tell me Peter and Paul. Okay. Okay. <laughs> um, not Peter, Paul, and Mary, just Peter and Paul. Um, somebody out there is going right now. Well, what's the difference between a transgression and a sin? That's where I'm getting. Yeah. yeah. Well, let, let's just boil a really super simplified answer to that question. And I'm, please, are you budding theologians out there, don't email us. This is a tiny little, uh, you know, boiled down for the sake of conversation definition. A sin is willful 
disobedience. And you know it is. And you know it is. For him that knows to do good and doesn't do it, to him it is sin. Or the flip side of that, if you know it's wrong and you do it anyway. Transgression um, doesn't mean it's not sinful, but it's not willful. Well, it means that you may not mean to do it. So here's a big, here's a big difference. Uh, here's a couple of more words for you. Uh, faithfulness to somebody. I live a life that's faithful to God, or I live a life that's faithful to my wife. Not necessarily in fidelity issues, but I mean, you know, I live my life for her, so to speak, if you want to look at it in those terms. And you can do the same thing for God. Uh, doing, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to do everything. And what, what we take that to mean sometimes, uh, like Abraham and Sarah, uh, uh, which introduced, uh, I just forgot his name, Ishmael. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so God had said, you're going to be the father of many nations. And I don't remember if he had said that it's going to go through Sarah. Sarah's going to be the mother of it. But somewhere in there, they started thinking, we need to do what God told us to do. Here, take my handmaiden and have a child with her so that we can get because this God's thing. Because taking too long. Because Abraham, well, well, I don't even know if they thought that. But they did think, uh, you know, Abraham was 80, 90 years old uh, when Ishmael was born, and Sarah was about 10 years younger than him. So, I mean, she was way past childbearing age. And God didn't give the specifics in that. So in faithfulness to do what God said, he didn't tell them to do it. He just said it was going to come through them. They take Hagar and they do the thing. That's one of those examples of stupid things. You know, if you're a real Christian, you wouldn't do that kind of stuff. But in their eagerness to do do something for the kingdom, because this is the mindset difference. Yeah. They transgressed in that. Right. They willfully knew what they were doing too, but they were also in the fog of, I'm supposed to have many nations come out of me, and you do something stupid. They right? were tr they were trying to they were trying to bring about the promise under their own energy instead of waiting for God to do it. And I don't even think that they were trying to do it in an arrogant sense. I just think that they got... They're just in, human. In their life of pursuing God. So that was faith, trying to be faithful to that. What they really needed to do was have faith in God. And I'm not condemning them. We're just looking at this from a historical and pulling back right. out of that. And even in my own walk, I've learned a lot of this stuff. Is that uh, having faith in God and trying to be faithful to what he says are almost two different things. Because you can't pull off kingdom things. That has to be led. Jesus didn't do squat for 30 years. Yeah. Because his faith was in the Father. And almost, you know, in a perfect sense, and you're sitting and everything's perfect, you're thinking... You know, I'm not going to do anything right now because it's not clear and God's going to do what he's going to do. I don't even know if he sat around thinking like that. But he wasn't around making, doing miracles and all that kind of stuff until the appointed time and God put it into play. Uh, how does that work every time? I don't know. Well, but what's even interesting in that scenario, and you talk about, I, I have heard the argument before and I, and I, I don't agree with it, but the, so... If you're really watching to keep track of, I do not agree with it. Um, that there's in one of the points talking about whether or not it was Jesus' appointed time. I've heard the argument that he actually went against the Father um, at the wedding at the wedding of Canaan. Because if you remember what he told Mary, she's like, "Would you please fix the wine situation?" He was like, "Woman, it's not my time yet. I can't can't do this yet." And what does she tell him? Do it anyway. <laughs> I mean, go read the story. I paraphrase, but basically she's like, you can almost hear the tone in her voice of, I am your mother, and I, you know, we need this to happen. And what did he do? <laughs> he did it. And so in a, in a very linear human sense, the argument could be made, and like I said, I've heard the argument made, that Jesus stepped out on his own and he was disobedient to the Father because he went outside of the time or whatever. It doesn't take into account the fact that he's also God and he's the author of the timeline. I mean, and, and but even in a in a less because I don't even like to say Jesus was 
Jesus could do whatever he wanted because he was God, because he was also man and had to learn obedience in his flesh and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And so what's a better biblical argument is, is that the Father gave him the latitude and necessarily the permission, I guess, as it were, to do the miracle at, at the wedding. Well, and other times when he did miracles, and he'd tell people, don't run around telling people any of this kind of stuff. Yeah. And what they do? They ran around and told everybody. Well, they couldn't help it. <laughs> yeah. Now, was he righteous in when he did it and why he did it? I don't even know that that's an argument to get into. It is kind of looking at it, but getting back. So, so transgression and sin. The difference is, is that uh, we, we read a little bit about Abraham and Sarah before they were Abraham and Sarah. I mean, they were married, but their names, Abram and but I can't even pronounce her name now. Uh, they get to Egypt, and they'd been places, and he built altars. He had encounters with God, right. and, it, and it was deep, and it meant something to him, and he, he built this, this thing. Famine comes around, and I'm not criticizing what he should have done. People will look at that and go, well, God didn't tell him to go to Egypt. He should have stayed where he was at. In the end, that might have been true, but they go to Egypt looking for something to eat, for lack of a better way to say it. And they get there, and he's afraid that Sarah must have been some kind of a good-looking woman because she was uh, probably in her late 60s when they got there and because Abraham was 75. And so he told a half-truth. Mm -hmm. He said, this is my sister. Because they afraid, you know, they'd see her and they'd want her, so they just cut his head off and take what they wanted. Evidently, they had a reputation that they could do those kinds of things, right? Right. He can do whatever he wants. Uh, at any rate, they go in there, and so he tells his half-truth, hoping that they'll spare him. And they did exactly what he was afraid of. He took Sarah to be his wife. Evidently, she didn't have a lot of say in the, in the yeah. matter. Man, they get all they want. Don't get sidetracked in the emotions of the politics today. <laughs> Uh, just just flow with the picture here. And so he transgressed. Did he know he was lying? Yes. Was it he could he could argue the fact it was we do that kind of stuff all the time, you know, justifying yeah. where we're at and what we're doing. But he was down there because they were hungry. And uh uh so he, the guy takes Sarah, he finds out the truth, he actually has some integrity about him, and he figures out that God, whoever he thought that was, but evidently Abraham's God could do things that he didn't want done. So the transgression is, is Abraham is seen to be a liar and a coward in the eyes of the infidel, so to speak, the unsaved guy, right? And because he, he and he knows God in all of its essence, not, I mean, at least in power, and it scared him. And he's like, why would you do such a thing to me? Yeah, you know, yeah, she's a beautiful woman, but she ain't that beautiful. And <laughs> right. and so not only that, the guy gives him wealth and all kinds of stuff. And it was really, I think he did it because he wasn't looking at Abraham as the man and you something. He was no. he was scared of his God. He was trying to appease Abraham. He God. Was, yeah, he wasn't trying to appease Abraham. Mm -hmm. But if he can appease Abraham, evidently he might be able to appease God. So at any rate, Abraham comes out smelling like a rose out of this thing. But he was highly embarrassed through the fact this is a minor, this is a minor correction. So he transgressed. He didn't go down there to make a point of trying to insult the king and, and that kind of thing, right? Uh, and so through his through his cowardly actions, he got called out yeah. in front of God and everybody, right? Nobody wants that. And and so he suffered he suffered punishment there if that if that makes right. sense, but it was for correction. That's the difference between a transgression and a sin. Yeah, he got down there and he's suffering this, and he knows he looks like a fool, and he was probably going, "I was just trying to protect myself. I didn't mean to get into all this kind of stuff." And but yet he was held accountable from God's perspective. Yeah, if that still makes wrong. sense, it was still wrong. But it wasn't, it wasn't, it was still wrong in deed and action. But it wasn't a willful it, intention to go it, out and yeah, do it. Yeah, it didn't come out of a place of malice. Now, in contrast to that, I think um, 
Hello, Tanya, Ryan, and Allison. Thanks for joining. Y'all comment in the comments. Don't just let me know you're watching. Let us know. Say something. Say howdy. Say anything. Say anything. But uh, a contrast to me would be, and this is a deeper conversation, would be even King David with Bathsheba and Uriah the Hittite. And when David saw Bathsheba and the men are out at war, I mean, and you could even back it up to, it was the time when kings go out to war and he wasn't there. Mm -hmm. He should have been because that was what was expected and done. He knew better. He stayed behind. But when he saw Bathsheba bathing, he knew that wasn't his wife. He knew who she belonged to, and he did it anyway. And part of his lamentation later is, like you said, he knew. He was not surprised by the consequences or that there were consequences because he knew what he was doing was wrong when he did it. Yeah. And it got worse when he arranged for Uriah to be killed. Yeah. Okay? And so... There's real punishment, punitive punishment, that comes for sin. And for him, it was the sword will never depart from your house because of what you've done. And to this day, that's it's very true. David was not surprised that he got punished. Exactly. Abraham, on the other one, was kind, kind of, of stunned at all the things that went wrong in that from just a minor, I'll call it a minor infraction. I don't really mean it that way. But he was kind of stunned at how how vast this one little thing was. That's the difference between uh, uh, God dealing with a, with a transgression versus dealing with a sin. Yeah. You're not surprised. I sinned, I did this, it came to light. I don't like it, but I get it. I liken it like um, when you're just, you're doing the best you know to do and you kind of look back and you just figure out that you screwed up a bunch of stuff, and you didn't know you were screwed. I, to me, you weren't as, even trying to. As a parent, I can look back over twenty-five plus years of being a parent, <laughs> and go, "Man, I look back on the early days of the first couple of kids, and I'm like, what was I thinking? I just, you just didn't know any better. Didn't know. And but you're doing your best. Now, does that excuse the poor choices or the sinfulness of losing your temper or go? It doesn't excuse it, and I mean, we're not trying to do that. So yeah. please hear us say we're not excusing the sinfulness or the ramifications of even a transgression, but we do want to highlight the fact that there's a difference in the heart and the motive. Yeah, um, that matters to God. It does, ma and that's just it. That matters to God, and that's why He's eyes are going around on the whole earth looking for people whose hearts are perfect to the Lord. Because the flip side of that is, as somebody whose heart's perfect towards the Lord and they're pursuing and seeking the kingdom first, as the Gospels will tell us, when you encounter discipline, when we hear the word discipline, we think of punitive punishment for wrongdoing. But, so therefore, you can never get out of the, the circle of how do I actually do things right? Right. But, but discipline is different than punishment. Yeah. And punishment comes from willful disobedience. Discipline can have a punitive tone have a punitive to it. feel to it, but it's directive. Yes, it's directive. Here's how you do it right. But discipline can also come without a punitive element. Yeah. In terms of, think about how you raise your kids. Uh, hey, Betty and Jimmy, um, we, we, we can, everybody that's ever had kids can see this and they don't, they don't have a problem understanding it. There are things your children do on purpose, and they're disobedient. You know, if you're a, if you're someone who 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 spanks your children, um, I've heard it growing up. You know that that spanking was reserved for willful, knowledgeable disobedience, outright disobedience. Whereas some other form of discipline might be reserved for when they didn't know, didn't understand, weren't aware. It still wasn't okay. Like a little kid taking a sharpie to a wall, okay, and uh, when they're two, it's irritating. They don't want need to do it again. It's destructive. It's not good practice. But my golly, when they're eighteen months old, too. First of all, why'd you have the sharpie out where they could get it? Second, you know, you're not going to come down on them like you would if they were fourteen, unless you've taught them and they know different. Unless you've taught them and you don't and. and for us in our household, you know, we were raising our kids. Um, we learned if it was the first offense, 
the response was very different than if it was the second, third, fourth, yeah. or fifth. You know, when they are just figuring things out, it's still not any better in terms of the what happened or what they broke or who they offended or whatever. But the discipline comes in the form of direction and training. Whereas, all right, the second and third time, when they know they shouldn't do it, then the discipline actually comes in a more punitive. It's harsher. You shouldn't, yeah, it's harsher. You shouldn't have done this. And you knew not to do it. And even outside the kingdom, even the legal world understands this concept. Yes. Because if you go, you get arrested for a Class B misdemeanor, and it's your first offense, and the argument can be made, I screwed that up and I didn't know. Even judges are lenient, you know, on things like that. They might give you deferred adjudication or community service. Whereas if you're a third strike, you're out incorrigible and it's the, you just keep doing the same stuff, yeah. they're like, no, you knew better. Yeah. And so you, even in the legal system, we can see the difference in a transgression and a sin. It doesn't mean that what you did was still okay, but the yeah. heart and the motive and the understanding is taken into account. And it seems to matter a lot to God. Yeah, it, I think it does matter. And even talking about that while we're sitting here thinking about it, you know, I, I said last week, you know, with Lot, I have a really hard time justifying the fact that he was righteous. I accept the fact that the scripture says that he was righteous. Yeah. And I have to work that out. But as I'm sitting here listening to that, and I remember the conversation that, uh, so here's a, here's a picture of where Abraham was in his right mind. The study of, the study of historical uh, scriptural people won't accept the fact that they really lived and the Bible is the right is the right deal out of it. We don't want to get into why it's right or how it's right. You just have to accept that fact. Uh, and studying their lives and their walk is kind of, we're not studying them. We do, or I do, I find out who they are, but I'm looking to see what God does in these things because it helps me learn to try to figure out what he's like. So that's a, that's a, a point of why we try to teach people to study the scripture, right? You're not going to get the magic answers all the time. You got to dig a little. At any rate, uh, so in the perfect, they got all these animals together, and they're 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 hired men that took care of the flocks for the ones that were having contention issues. You're talking about Lot and uh, Abram. Lot and Abram, yeah. And this is after they'd gone to Egypt and come back. So Lot is kind of like us. He's living a to be faithful to his. It was his uncle, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Lot, Abram, Abram was his uncle, and he's living a faithful life to his uncle, which is not a bad thing. He's watching a guy who fears the Lord, but he's watching his uncle, and he's not watching God to have faith in him. So when Abram says, "Look, it's there's too much going on here," now this is a picture where Abram. He has faith in God. He's not trying to be faithful. He knows that God's going to take care of him no matter what transpires out of any, any circumstance. And he says, look, you take your flocks and just pick where you want to go, right? And Lot, being younger, he looks down and he sees this fertile land and, he's, and they probably had the conversation. Well, look, that's a good place down there. Are you sure you don't want it? Abraham didn't care. Right. Lot takes it and goes. And then he gets into ugly situations where he's having to live, and I'm sure he was enticed by living in the cosmopolitan places, all the things that we do too. And I mean, you may be going, well, I live in the country. I don't care about cosmopolitan. Well, you break it down into certain instances, you probably like convenience. That's what cosmopolitan is. At any rate. Yeah, what's the, what are we getting to? Yeah, so, well, we're looking at the difference between the uh, transgression and sin, right? A lot of things that Lot's family went through if he really was righteous like the Bible says he was, he wasn't trying to go down there and live the life of the sinful man. He might have been influenced by it or things like that, but he loved his family, even though he got scared and did stupid things. And he probably was seeing, man, I got to get out of this place. This is tearing my family up, but he didn't know. And, and a, in a sense of experience or he's, he, his, his idea of looking at the Lord in the face is how does Abraham do that? He's not looking at the Lord in the face, right? So he gets misdirected and confused, so to speak. So when he comes out of all that, and we can read about Lot's life, I mean, it was 
it was as messed up as you could get. But evidently it wasn't completely willful because it says that he was a righteous soul. That's the, and I'm working through that. How does that look? How does he, how could he even be held to that standard? So let's just say he's the worst case. Let's say he kind of stayed there when he maybe he should, he, he should know he should have gone and done something different for either sake of his family or walking for whatever it is. But he was doing the best that he could. At minimum, if he had a righteous soul, God used him to show us what it's like to walk, look, and he's looking at faithfulness and he's not having faith in God. If nothing else, that's an example of it. Right. And he did the same thing with, with uh, Job. Job, we know, had a perfect heart because God said it in the very beginning of the book. Right. And that poor guy went through all kinds of misery. And he says, though he slay me, yeah, I will trust him. I will trust him. And I almost, well, I, I believe it to my core. We can analyze Job till, till the cows come home. I think he went through, God put him through what he went through for you and me. Yeah. To watch what it was like for somebody that had faith in God, period. Period. Well, and so that's transgression and sin functions in there. And Margie actually asked a question on here. It's a good one. When does the Lord's discipline move from redemptive to punitive? I don't know that there's a difference. Well, <laughs> we've been talking about the difference between punitive discipline and instructive discipline. Yeah. Um, I would assert, Margie, that even punitive discipline is still redemptive, um, just like with children. Yeah. When they are on their third offense, and now, now their punishment is punishment. It's not just instructive. It in and of itself is hopefully a deterrent for time number four, resulting in their redemption. Um, but for me, I think the crux of what you're asking is, is when does it go from instructive transgression type of a discipline? When does it flip over to punitive, you know better kind of a discipline? And I think the, the, for me, the linchpin is, is you knew better. Well, David would be an example, I think. I mean, that was punitive stuff, and his family suffered big time for what he did there. Yeah. And families after that, and after that, and after that. And, and after he, that. David just, it wasn't surprising. I mean, it was the, the crushing blow of the long-term end of it was probably a big deal, but he, he wasn't surprised when he got punished. Right. He, he, he couldn't even go, well, I didn't know. They did. Or my, hey, I was, I was driven by my passions. That one didn't fly in that respect. Well, and another, I think, good example of, of seeing the knowledge being the linchpin is the Gentiles and the Jews in the New Testament mm -hmm. coming into the kingdom. Um, you know, it, it's spoken of over the Gentiles that they did by nature what was in the law without having the law. In other words, they were doing, out of their heart, they were following God. They were trusting in Him. They were doing, that doesn't mean they were following all of the Jewish traditions and everything, but they were, they were getting the heart of it. They were loving God and loving each other and yeah. those kinds of things. And they didn't have it. And so they weren't held to the same standard, as it were, as a Jew coming into the kingdom. Like, they didn't have to be circumcised. They, it was okay that they didn't eat kosher and those sorts of things. Um Partly because previously the scriptures talk about how God up to you know to Christ He has passed over the sins of the those in the past and it's by a sovereign act of God of uh, it's it's I don't want to minimize it too much and, and and make it where anything you do is dismissed and okay as long as you didn't mean to it's not it's yeah like, we're not <laughs> not saying that it's like when i used to play basketball it's gonna be a struggle and i'd get called for a foul my grandmother would always go yell out she'd literally tiny them and she was going he didn't mean to and uh and that seemed <laughs> that seemed to matter to her you know that i didn't mean to foul him um but i still did yeah and so we're not saying that but at the same time the weight relationally even and the weight eternally doesn't carry the same I'm trying to put this in a way that's theologically correct and clear is God just sees it different I mean that's the only other way to put it and it, and it's and it's just like with your kids I'll use Brenna for example um, Brenna developmentally is two ish 
okay? And sometimes she gets mad when we're getting her dressed or doing something, and she'll scratch at us or poke you in the eye, and she's like a ninja. I mean, you don't even see it coming. She's like, pow, she'll get you in the eyeball. Um, and immediately you're, you you kind of recoil, it hurts, <laughs> you know, and or whatever, and, and you kind of feel that reaction, but then you immediately, you dismiss it. You're like... <laughs> She doesn't understand what that feels like to me. I can't reason with her. I can't hold her accountable to the same level as if it was one of my other 15-year-old kids. My, if one of my 15-year-old sons pokes me in the eye and, and dots me one, we're going to have a different chat um, and, and likely a different outcome And uh, because they know better and they can do better. Yes. And so it, it brings on a whole different weight. Did she still poke me in the eye? Is it still wrong? Yes. Do we still try to make her not do that to people? Yes. She wants to rip my glasses off when I'm wearing glasses all the time. We still work with her. But it's not the same as if my 15-year-old son who has full faculties comes in and rips my glasses off while I'm sitting on the couch. It's a different thing. Well, God has the capacity to know the depth of every one of those situations and deal with it accordingly. So what's criminal for a well-known adult is not criminal for a kid that's learning if they do the same thing. Exactly. And so uh, in a perfect sense, he knows that whatever level that's at and will deal with it accordingly. Uh, from, uh, <clears throat> from Margie's question, when does it turn from corrective to just strain out punitive? If your heart's perfect toward the Lord, David's heart was perfect toward the Lord, and he did an absolute willful act that he knew everything he was doing, and he knew why he was doing it. God did a punitive act. Yeah. But he didn't let go of David. Right. The punitive act was in and of itself redemptive for David. Everything God does is redemptive in one form or another. And we keep asking the question, I think we're looking for, where's the place where he just cuts us off and there's nothing there anymore? Mm -hmm. I think that takes a gritted teeth, I know what you want, and I'm not going to do it. And you can't make me. Even when I know it's the proper and the good and the best thing to do, that's the difference between when you're selling out absolutely what I want, what I'm going to do, even though I see the eternal aspects of what you're talking about, just because I don't want you to have it. That's Satan talking. Yeah. Yeah. And it's really hard to get to that spot, I think. Right. Well, and to wrap this up and, and land the plane, you know, we talk an awful lot about, like I said when we started, encouraging people to if you feel led of the lord to do something go do it if you you know if you feel a, an area of service go try it out or you know just to to live in that freedom and it, we even share this with you know with church leadership and churches we go to and stuff you know you, let people try things you know yeah. hey, oh i'm afraid they'll screw it up or it'll cause this and <laughs> maybe that's true but what's more important is that their heart is perfect towards the Lord and that they're pursuing and seeking the kingdom. We, we refer to it as stumbling forward. Yeah. You know, well, I don't know exactly how to study my Bible. You'll figure it out. Get into it and stumble forward. Yeah, and if you don't do it, you're, you're going to be going around in circles. But that doesn't mean your heart's bad. It just means you're, you, well, you don't want discipline if that's the case. Right. But, but because we're humans, we want a codified law. We want the law. We, we want to be able to follow it, and the scriptures yeah. are replete with examples and statements that said the law was not given so you could follow it. It was given so you could see that you can't follow it. And Jesus made you perfect in those senses, and we can't, we don't know what to do. Heck, I don't know what to do with that. I have to work through that all the time. And it's because we are not comfortable with what I call declarative salvation, declarative redemption. He has declared, imputed stuff on us that has nothing to do with us. It's outside of us, and it makes us go, Bleh! we just can't, we, we short-circuit on it. But it really is the fundamental thing of how do I deal with transgression versus sin? Um, e even in Scripture where Paul talks about, you know, people being turned over to a reprobate mind. Yeah. 
you know, they all they've, they their minds are reprobate. They've sunk into depravity. They're gone forever. They've either lost their salvation. They weren't saved. Whatever your flavor of experiencing that is. But the end of that statement is, is so that their souls might be saved. Yes, it's used okay? as a redemptive act. It's used as a redemptive act. You know, if you read and study Romans really carefully, everybody is going to give glory to the Father. Either as a part of the kingdom and, you know, you're redempting, we would call them saved, or as an object of his wrath that still is bring, will bring glory to the Father. And a lot of that determines is determined by where our heart is. And, and, and so if, instead of cultivating this culture where make sure you get all your I's dotted and your T's crossed, which is religion, that's why we have yeah, the religion that we religion. have, we've stopped focusing on the heart. And I, let's just develop the heart. And because if we don't, the scriptures tell us that everything that comes out of our heart is only wicked continually we have to develop that heart to be in tune with the kingdom so that the actions that come after are in line with the and kingdom. everything you just said we were built to do that we think if the fall hadn't happened we would be instantaneously perfect and know how to do everything and all that i don't see it that way i think that there was still learning in there oh yeah absolutely transgressiveness could have happened there as well, but it's quickly redeemable. Yeah, I'll give a quick example. I, people people freak out because they think I'm teaching heresy when I talk about this, and feel free to push back. Better you than me. <laughs> there is a story that people don't want to wrestle with in the Scriptures. They don't want to deal with it as it's written, and that's when Jesus was 12 in the temple. Mm. And the caravan goes out three days, trace Dias, three days, they gone. Dude's in the temple teaching. Mary flips out. Where's Jesus? I thought you had him. Who's got him? You got Jesus? I got you. I thought he was with you. That's the you read the story and that's the feel. And a mama panics and they gotta travel three more days to go back go to back get him. Again. So we're six days in, dude's in the temple, living life, living living the life of Riley, teaching as the son of God. And the conversation reads, if we were to put it in the vernacular, Jesus. Where have you been? I mean, that's the tone. I've been going about my father's business. And we go, oh, well, he was God. But the fact uh, of the story is he should have been on that caravan, and he wasn't. Yeah. That's not sin. That's not sin. I and, agree. And we can still maintain the sinlessness of Jesus because, and what bears witness to that, the, the hermeneutic of, let's go to Scripture to let it explain Scripture, is in Hebrews where it says, he had to learn obedience by yeah, what he suffered. Exactly what I was fixing It's to say. easy for people to say, oh, but Jesus was God, therefore he knew everything there was to know, it, both in his flesh and in his godness, yeah. but that's not what the text bears out. It yeah. says he had to learn obedience by that which he suffered in the fleshly man side of him, yes. and he still did that without sin. Yes. Our brains kind of start to explode, but I just like pushing people. You've got to deal with the fact that God saw that differently. Yes. Then, um, and I think the story would have changed necessarily if we would have had a, a record of Mary saying, Jesus, I want you to do X. And he said, I don't think so. Yeah. I'm going to go do Y. But that's not what happened. Yeah, that's not what happened. He was just doing the deal, missed the boat, missed, missed the boat, missed the camel. And, you know, the caravan takes off, and it was just one of those things that just happened, and it wasn't ideal. It wasn't the design. People weren't in their proper place, and they fixed it. She came back. She got it, and guess what he did? He went with her. Yeah, yes, they had this exchange about, I've got to be about my father's business. He wasn't rebuking her. He was answering the question. Yeah. I'm just doing what comes naturally and to I'm me. I'm sure she was pretty tense from fear and all kinds of yeah. I don't think it was a pleasant. Yeah. Yeah, well, and you see a similar exchange at Lazarus' tomb between the two of them. Jesus, where have you been? Had you come, he would not be dead. I mean, yeah. the tone of that is she was irritated with the, with the creator God of the universe in the form of Jesus. She's irritated with him and letting him have it. Yeah, but you can't do that to God. Apparently you can. Well, you can do it because Moses did it. We're afraid to... We, you, that's giving excuses for God. 
And that's one of the things I was. One of the things we're going to talk about. That we're going to talk about is making excuses for God. Well, of course Jesus could have done that because He was God. Uh, yes well, and I, no. I, I think I think the environment was his mama was scared to death, relieved, mad. You know how Mama Bear gets. I think that was probably the encounter. I did that with my grandma once. I got out too close to the road when I I don't know, I was a young kid. It'd be child abuse these days, but she was so scared because some car came flying up over the top of that hill. And she ran out there, ripped the switch off the tree while she was doing it in mid-stride and grabbed me by the arm and we went around in circles all the way up to the house while she was whacking me with that switch. It was because she was scared to death that I was... It, she wasn't gritting her teeth angry. She was scared to death when she did it. And I don't hold grudges on that. It wasn't a... Uh, Oh, what was the, what did I just say was the reason all that? Oh, making excuses for God, right? I didn't have to make excuses for her because she beat me mercilessly. I mean, I had marks on my legs for three weeks from that thing. <laughs> but it was because she was scared to death when it happened. My point is, is that we don't have to make excuses for God when we don't understand it and just give him the benefit of the doubt. He doesn't need that. Right. He wants you to look him in the face, and if you got issues with him, you say it, because if your heart's perfect, it will get worked out. Right. It might take it a day. It might take it 10 years. Good example, and we'll close. Yeah. When, when, when we found out, and we were in the throes when Brennan was born, and had come home, we had to leave her at the hospital sometimes. We couldn't yeah. stay with her the whole time in the NICU when she was born. And one of, the, one of the times when we came home, and she was at the hospital, just right out here outside of the office and down in the pasture, um, I went down and I was having a rough, rough day. It was one of those days where we didn't know if she was going to make it, whatever. And me and the Lord had some chats about, yeah. and, and it, you know, things like, how could you do this to us? I don't understand. How are you good? At the top of my lungs, kind of, you know, shaking my fist at him in some degree. Yeah but still recognizing who he was and all of those sorts of things. And he didn't, you know, lightning bolt me. I didn't turn into a pillar of salt. Um, oh, the contrary is I really in that moment felt his very loving presence yeah. of, I understand. I, I understand. And it's like when your kid losing his marbles, you know, over something bad that's happened. Their dog gets hit by a car, and they're weeping and angry. How did this happen? And you scoop them up in your lap, and you love on them, and you're like, I know. This is, this hurts, and I know. And there's a love in that. And yeah. the whole point of that is, is God can handle it because God can see through all of the pain, the suffering, the anger, the irritation, and he can see what's in here. Yeah. And when that heart has been cultivated by the Holy Spirit through intentional pursuit of the kingdom you can weather a whole lot of junk and take a lot of discipline and take a lot of correction well and you can have the faith to believe it will get better so to speak because he can see that and he knows it but there's nothing he would be able to say to you that you'd be able to intellectually go okay i see the path right and for for back to the deal we think about you know bible characters always did everything right after they encountered the lord mm -hmm. i was getting back to peter and paul you won't forget the story when they got together and Peter, Peter was Peter of Pentecost and Peter, the, the healing Peter, blah, blah, blah. And the Jews came in from Jerusalem. He started acting like a, a racist bigot again and wouldn't have, <laughs> wouldn't eat with the Gentiles. And Paul, it says he withstood him to the face. It means he got yeah. up in his chili and was like, dude, you can't do this. You know better. And he, because he was leading Barnabas down the same yeah. path. He's like, you know better. You can't do it. And it, the way it reads, it looks like he received it. Yeah you know, and, and was able to move past that. So it's not talking about perfection and action. It's talking about your heart being fully devoted and looking into the face of God. And that's what helps you weather the transgressions. Yes. And even when you sin, and I, when you, when we sin, when I sin, and there is punitive consequence. Margie noted here, we know how much he loves us. Um, she says, I completely agree. Because even if he floods the whole earth, it is to redeem it. Yes. And that's true. Jesus' suffering on the cross was to redeem. every. It's all 
in his view, redemptive, even when it's for the willful action. And so our encouragement as we figure out how to see the way that, how to see the kingdom the way God does, or at least begin to do that, as we're dealing what's the difference between transgression and sin, I, I love Tim's example. If it, when you're willfully gritting your teeth, I know what I'm supposed to be doing, and I'm going to withhold from the Lord obedience and do my thing, that's sin. Sometimes you screw up and you don't really even intend to or because you don't know any better or you make a bad decision. Keep plowing, keep moving, keep cultivating your heart. God God will direct you. And you take that correction. It doesn't mean you don't take the correction either. Yeah. You take it. You take it because he's taking you somewhere with that, developing you for something. That's how it works. And frankly, I think that's how it was created to be done even before the fall. It was like that. Margie says if we know how much he loved us, we would be much more free in going to him. Oh, man, that's deep, Margie. Um, and that's really true. Um, it's time to go. We got to get, man, we are long today. Uh, but this is a good topic. Hey, guys, if you're out there and you want to talk about this sort of thing some more, be at the Bridge Fellowship at 9 o'clock next Saturday, and uh, we're going to be talking stuff like this all day long. Yeah. And uh, and it's an open forum. It's not a lecture. There'll be teaching going on, but we want to hear from you. And if you are coming and are watching this, you need to dig through Hebrews 5, 6, 7, 8, actually 6 through 8, that whole stretch in there. We're going to be talking a lot out of there and um, out of the story of Jacob. We're going to be talking about a lot. We're going to be talking about, talking about a lot of things. So Actually, we'll be sending that out shortly, too. Yeah, I meant to have that out last week and just have it, have it been made a long happen. week. It has been a long week. Um, lots of our folks in the hospital right now having a rough time, so keep them in your prayers. Um, if you feel ever feel so led to partner with the ministry, uh, we we do appreciate and crave that. We are everything that's done here um, is funded by by you folks, and and we crave and covet those that will partner with us on a monthly basis, even if it's five dollars a month. That really helps us plan. And so I hate doing that, but we kind of got to mention that. But uh, be even prayer for us at the end of the month. Also, we're going down to Brownsville to meet with Ecclesia uh, Church down there and train, do the Bible study training, and uh, that's going to be fun. We're hoping to go back down in the fall and do one with some um, Mexican national pastors down there. It's going to be a fun time, and so be in prayer about that. Got the men's thing coming up on May the 14th. We hope you can join us. You got anything before we go? Oh, yeah, Y'all have a great weekend, yeah. and we'll see you back next week, Lord willing, and uh, maybe Sean will be back at that point in time, and I can stop running the stream. And because uh, I get lost. We love you guys. We'll talk to you later. Bye-bye.